0: All right, folks, let me. Wow, someone really puts this up here. Joe, how did you handle that? All right, it's really high today. It's actually, I think, too high for me. All right, there we go. Um, announcement I forgot to share one. I shared this with the teens uh, this past Wednesday, uh, or should I say, I had it shared with, for, with the teens. Uh, but there is a uh, family uh, right nearby. I think they're on Severn's Bridge or just off Severn's Bridge. And uh, they are looking for a teenager or an individual uh, to help them with some yard work. And uh, I told them I would get back to them. Uh, The teens had a lot of fun Wednesday night, uh, and maybe they didn't get to me uh, afterwards. But if you know of someone who would like to earn a little extra money, uh, it's one to two times a week that this uh, family would like to um, have someone come over, do some yard work, do some pool cleaning uh, do something different. The quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Um, I hope you have never gotten over your salvation. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, then you know what it means to be saved. You know what it means when we use the term salvation. You know what it means to be set free. Paul, as we've been going through this this series in Galatians and no other gospel, uh, he really has been establishing very clearly that um, we are free. Free to worship, free to do those things that we were not free to do prior to our faith in Christ. We were dead in sin. We were condemned to an eternity without God until a quickening ray Flood of the dungeon and filled it with light. I know that pretty much describes my my salvation, my my coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I was definitely lost um, and my whole life changed. And I pray that's what's happened in your life already. And if you haven't, please go back, listen to the series. Certainly, read the book. Read the letter of Paul to the Galatians. It's a wonderful book. And this is our final sermon in the book. So let's get to it. Uh, I wanted to say, what does it mean to be centered? We talk about this in in, in both secular world and and, uh, Christian world. We talk about this idea of being centered. So what does that mean? So let's talk about the secular uh, view uh, view first. Uh, And I'm not saying it's wrong in any sense. I'm just saying this has come from a secular source, psychologytoday.com. It's a blog that somebody wrote. I'm I'm not actually giving any kudos to anybody. I'm just putting the reference there. But I'll say this. I think they're pretty close, I mean, to to the way we would use this word in the English language. Centering usually refers to our mental and physical state of mind. It's the place we know we have to get back to when we're not feeling like ourselves. You ever been there, right? The day's just not going the way you want to go, all right? It, It goes on to say, when we're not centered, we might feel lost or out of touch with ourselves. And I think that's usually what we mean when we want to get centered. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. All right. Let's start over. You ever been in speech class, right? Oh, my word. If my, I always say if my speech teacher knew what I did for a living, she'd probably drop dead. Um, because I was one of those guys that would live up there. And, Can I start over? right? Um, but it, it's the idea of, of we know there's a place we need to be. How do I get there? It says becoming centered in a, uh, is a way to find peace within the chaos that might be surrounding us. It's about being in check with what's going on. Individuals who are centered are typically calm and peaceful. Now, I don't know if that's always true, but I thought there is an illustration that we could—if uh, you watch baseball, all right—an illustration of someone who needed to get centered. Uh, it was Boston Red Sox pitcher Chris Sale anybody see him this last Friday? All right, Whew, pretty dramatic. You guys got to get out more. Wait a minute, I watched it in my living room. Maybe you need to get in more. Maybe I need to get out more. I was watching, and, uh, and he went nuts, right, on the mound. He was upset. He started hitting himself with the baseball on his head. That guy needed some centering, and you know what? It worked. Now, granted, I don't condone his method, but he went on to have like 10 strikeouts and all that stuff, but he had a bad fourth inning. He needed some centering. And so maybe you have come to understand what that means for your life. But how do do Christians use this term centered? Well, there's a a series of words uh, we use. Christ-centered, gospel-centered, and today I'm going to use cross-centered. I'm going to use that one for the the dominating word in the uh, phrase in the the sermon. will be this idea of cross-centered. But listen, we use these words, and, and actually I think most people use them interchangeably. This idea of Christ-centered, well, certainly Christ is the very essence of the gospel, and certainly he died on the cross. The cross would have no meaning without Jesus Christ, right? All right. Gospel-centered, it's all they're all so I can understand how these might be confused or, or conflated or, or whatever they might be, but I decided why don't we just go ahead and let's consider how they can be used relatedly? How do they relate to one another? So here we go. MVBC is a Christ centered church. That's who we are. This is not a new mission statement. This, isn't a, this is for this sermon, all right? This is, we are a Christ centered church, or we're not a church. With, gospel, with a gospel centered mission, we know that we are called to make a mature disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our mission, it's the gospel. But MVBC is a Christ centered church with a gospel centered mission conducted by Christians living cross-centered lives. You're going to see this again, but I'll leave it up there for a minute because some of you have got to take these notes. I know you're you're centering yourself on on these notes. A Christ-centered church with a gospel-centered mission conducted by Christians living cross-centered lives. That's what I'm going to challenge you with this morning. Are you living a cross-centered life? Am I living a cross-centered life? As we come uh, um, to this text that we're going to look at, I think as Christians we are called to live this way. And I think Paul uh, uh, addresses this question, what does it mean to live a cross-centered life? He doesn't use this terminology, but he does use something that's very similar to it, and we'll look at that in just a second. But as we look at these verses, which Joe just read for us, all right, we're going to look at seven attributes of a cross-centered life. And so we're going, to, we're going to see, this is the key verse, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is verse 14. And as you come to the end of Paul's letters, it, we're conditioned, are we not? We read the beginning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Paul writing to so-and-so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the point, Paul? Let's get into the meat. Oh, we got the meat, 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 meat. Oh, oh. he's uh, We're getting to the end. Okay, now he's just wishing well and, and going on. And we're conditioned to like skip over like the last number of verses, maybe in the whole last chapter sometimes, right? We shouldn't do that, right? All scripture is profitable. We talked about the last two weeks. We talked about that. So here we are. This is Paul's heartbeat on display. We're going to go back to 11 through 13 and we're going to pick up from, and, and go all the way through 18. But I think this is what's driving Paul's heart. As he's reaching out to the Galatians, as he's encouraging them in their faith, as he's challenging them to walk in the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit, he's saying, listen, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was focused on he was centered on the cross. When all that was going on in Paul's life, when it was chaos, and when, listen, he had the power of the Holy Spirit within him, but what, what did he do? He centered on the cross. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, and then he says in Galatians 2.20, right? Um, and I'll just read it because it's easier to just uh, get it right the first time. All right? Galatians 2.20 um, says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I. Let's see, I uh, let me get. It. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. He's definitely a cross-centered individual, and he's certainly a great example for us to follow. And he's not the only example. So let, let's look at this uh, seven attributes of, of a cross-centered life. First of all, we're going to see that a cross-centered, cross-centered living, this is the way we're called to live, is steadfastly relational. Emphasis on relational, but certainly it's not an easy come, easy go relationship. It's steadfast. Notice what Paul says. Here. It says, First of all, he says, see? This idea is he's saying, listen. I've just written an entire letter to you that is full of all kinds of exhortation and challenge. But he says, as I conclude these last few verses, I want you to see, he is saying, take notice. It is paramount that they not miss what he's about to say. He says, see what large letters, these large letters are either talking about the entire letter or just this portion. Now, when you consider how the Word of God is written uh, in the first century, as people were writing, and, and well, I'm sure Old Testament uh, the, the, as well, you know, there's only so much space on parchments and different uh, uh, media that they used to write on. As for so for Paul, if he wrote the whole letter large, then then that was saying something. All right, it's so. One commentator put it: it's like using bold, underlined text. Right? Don't miss this. It might just be that Paul picked up the pen at this particular point and started using. So in contrast to all the previous words, he's writing these himself. And he's saying, I'm writing them with my own hand. It's the idea that uh, I have written them with my own hand. He often used what was called an amanuensis. Big word. It basically means secretary, a scribe. It means that somebody that was along with him. And he would dictate, they would write. I'm sure he would review, they were correct, right? But it was all an inspiration of scripture. Paul was was uh, is big A author God, little A author Paul, and and he would use these people because he was possibly hard of seeing, you know, so he had to write big so he could see it, any number of reasons. But he's saying, Listen, I want you to take notice of these big letters that I'm writing, and because I'm writing them with my own hand. I think what we see is he wanted the Galatians to know he was committed to them. He's not, he's not sitting in his office uh, with his you know, a credenza off to one side and, and with his little tape recorder recording. Uh, this is letter number 343 of the day. Uh, let me give all of these details. No, he's saying, I'm writing this with my own hand. I'm passionate for you guys called Galatian Christians. And you need to take notice about what I'm going to say. What I have said, but what I'm actually saying because I am committed to you. I am steadfastly relational. He is in a relationship with them and we ought to be in relationship with others as well. I think as we think about it, the cross is a relational metaphor for our commitment to Jesus Christ. Have you you ever noticed that the, the the cross we we can sit there and say for like Matthew 16, Jesus says, he said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We've talked about this over the last number of weeks. This was the This is how we can understand what the cross is supposed to mean in our life. Jesus said, pick it up. Follow me. It's the load that we are expected to bear going back two or three sermons. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does it mean to lose your life in this context? It's the idea of a cross. It's the idea of crucifying yourself. We're going to talk more about this, but I think as as, as we look at this, it's 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 uh, the cross is it's a relational metaphor. Paul was not giving up on the Galatian Christians, and so there we we therefore we must not give up on our brothers and sisters in Christ. The relationships that exist within this body and within other bodies, other local churches, these relations these relationships are important. They are cross-centered relationships. We have all come, they say the, the ground is level at the cross. I say that all the time because it centers me. I'm no better than anyone else. And nobody else is better than me. But I will choose to esteem others better than myself because the cross preaches that. It's a metaphor. But it's also a reality. That that is how we came to faith. And so therefore, if Paul's not going to give up on the Galatian Christians, how dare we give up on those within our body or within other other bodies? Are you on the outs with your brothers and sisters in Christ? There's plenty of opportunity for that to take place. And we are called to work through those relationships. And those relationships are vital and they're, they're important and it takes time but if we're going to work through the chaos of the relationships, we must be cross-centered as we do it. The cross is a symbol of our salvation. It is also a symbol which unites us. All right, we have it on the front of our uh, the pulpit. We have it in the window. Uh, many of you are probably wearing crosses as necklaces or an earring, maybe as a ring. It's not an idol. It's not a, a, a piece of jewelry to be worshipped, but it is something that communicates the reality that we are united because of our relationship that is focused on the cross. First Corinthians 1:18 says, "For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We can be united because we have a spirit." Within us, and we understand that the message of the cross is powerful, and we are not called to be unified with the world. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. That is thinks the cross is foolishness. So Christ centered living. This is the way we're called to live. Is steadfastly relational. Don't give up on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Get into relationship. Go deep in relationship. Christ-centered living is also courageously selfless. Now, this is, uh, there's a lot in this particular portion of it, so, so follow along with me. He says in verse 12, As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, remember Paul's talking about these false teachers that were all about uh, the flesh, right? Those, th- these would compel you to be circumcised. That's the context of his day and why he is one of the main reasons he's writing this letter only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. As we look at this particular text and we talk about what a cross-centered life looks like, this is what it doesn't look like. It's a negative example. We we can say a cross-centered life is courageously selfless. That's not what these people are representing. Watch Watch as we go through this. First of all, we see in contrast to the false teachers who were pursuing popularity, this is what was driving them. There's two things that were driving them. They were pursuing popularity. They were seeking to have a good showing in the flesh. In other words, it mattered what other people thought about them. They were not cross-centered. They were not Christ-centered. They were other-centered in the sense of other people's opinions mattered more. And so they were, they were trying to make a good showing. It was all about popularity at one level. It's, it's a... It's a uh, certainly an error on their part, but it's, it's a twofold error. They, they, sought, they wanted to be popular and be looked upon in a good way amongst those who were not Christians, right? Or those who were or believing what they believed, and it was a false gospel. But the second thing we see is that they were fearful of persecution. And that's, that's the, the, the last portion of that. It says, so as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, right? These would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. This is not cross-centered living. This is this is um, this is fearful living. Listen, we're we're allowed because of who we are in our in our human nature. Fear is a real thing. I think that's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. David, Dave, Pastor Dave taught on this uh, last Wednesday night. Uh, but it's the idea, you know, fear God. Keep his commandments. Those type things, right? We, we're called to fear. There is one book that the premise of the book is uh, what you fear is what you love. What you fear is what you worship. Because if you're not fearing God and you're fearing something else, something has just supplanted God's place. usurped God's place of the throne of your life. So here we see that they are, they are very focused on, on popularity and fear. But notice, cross-centered living is courageously selfless. It's not manipulative, but, but people who are not cross-centered will be manipulative. How, where do I get that? They are going to compel you to be circumcised. It is not through just spiritual conviction. They're not saying, I want the best for you, so you need to come to faith in Christ and be circumcised. They're saying because they want a good showing and that they fear persecution for the cross of Christ, we are going to compel you to be circumcised. Paul is unveiling the sinful heart, the the erring heart of their motives for what they're trying to do. These false teachers are leading the Galatian Christians in a wrong direction. And they are manipulating them. They are hypocritical because Paul goes on to say, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Right? This, this idea, uh, sorry, let me go back here. It, it's hypocritical. If someone tells you to do something that they're not doing themselves, is that not the definition of being a hypocrite? Listen, I think we're all hypocritical in our sinful nature, right, in our, in our humanity. You know, we're not perfect. We say something, we say one thing, we do something else. Sometimes that's hypocritical. Sometimes that's just wrong. Uh, sometimes that's just an error. But uh, listen, these guys, Paul, as he, as he unmasks these false teachers, he's saying, you're not supposed to be fearful. You're supposed to be courageous. You're not supposed to be uh, consumed with yourself or others. You're supposed to be selfless. You are not supposed to be characterized by thinking what's best for you. And certainly you're not supposed to be saying one thing and doing another. He says, lastly, that, that they are prideful. He says, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. There was something in it for them. These false teachers, they weren't courageously selfless. They were totally self-consumed. And they wanted to, uh, as uh, Jesus said elsewhere, he says, uh, the Pharisees make, you know, when they make a disciple, they make a disciple twice as bad, right? I mean, it's uh, the idea that they've taught them the law and, then, and, they, and they go way off in even more error. And, and Paul's saying this is, this is kind of the heartbeat of these false teachers. They want you to have, be circumcised uh, that they may boast in your flesh. And they're not even doing it themselves, right? They're not living the law. They're doing part of it. Paul's already addressed much of this in, in the previous chapters. But he's really telling them as his last-ditch effort to get their attention and, and help them understand what, the way they need to go, he says, don't go by the way of the false teachers. They are not courageously selfless, like you are called to be. I think we have to be examining ourselves and, and ask ourselves what our motives are within the body of Christ. What are our motives when we approach those outside the church? I think churches make error uh, uh, can, can be error uh, make that's not the word I'm using for. They, they have historically uh, focused on the wrong things. I know of pastors and churches from my past, and it was all about the number of baptisms they had in a year, a number of conversions, how many people came to faith at a at a at a uh, tent meeting, right? It's all about the numbers. You know, we're, we're familiar with that. Uh, this is the idea of when you're cross-centered living, you're not thinking about what's in it for you or what other people will think about your church, or, or you are you are selfless. You are focused on. The well-being, the spiritual well-being of others. Cross-centered living is absolutely devoted. All right? And I hope you get this absolute part because he says here, uh, he says, uh, he uses categorical words. There's a categorical denial, this word absolutely. He says, God forbid. The word, God forbid, those two words are actually not in the text. It's conveying the sense of the text. The, the words actually are conveying the meaning of, may it never be that I would boast. Paul is drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, may I never cross that line. God forbid, I would never cross. Don't, Lord, don't ever let me do that. I don't know about you, but I prayed... Numerous times in my ministry years, Lord, if there would ever be a point would I, where I would defame the cross of Christ, where I, would, where I would drag the name of Jesus through the mud, take me home before I ever get there. Uh, you know, I, I think this is what Paul is saying. Lord, don't ever let me get here. God, please, forbid this. May it never be that I would boast in myself or even what you're doing in, in me or, or through me uh, it's the idea, I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is saying, I am willing to boast, but only in on the cross. I'm willing to exalt my Savior. I'm willing to tell everyone about Jesus. But Lord, let me never put my name at the end of a quote. Never, may I never put my name uh, as some prominent place as I communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he uses categorical denial, God forbid, but he uses the term crucified. It's this idea, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is powerful language, and and this is cross-centered living at its core. It's the idea that the world is dead to Paul. When something is crucified, it is dead. There's no coming off the cross I am going to boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me. The world is dead to Paul. The world had no sway upon him. He had been bought with a price, and he knew that he had been redeemed. And he wasn't going back. I think we're tempted to go back sometimes. Sometimes that's how we might have centered ourselves. Sometimes we, we, we fall into the, the, the error of centering ourselves on some of the things that were true in our life. Uh, prior to coming to Christ. And that should not be the case. This is what Paul is saying. I center myself on the cross of Christ because the world has been crucified to me. It is dead. But then he goes on to say, and I to the world. Paul is dead to the world. Think about it. His gospel is going forth. He is going from city to city to city across the, the, the whole region there. And, and, and people are dismissing him. Remember the foolishness of the gospel. He's preaching it. And there are people that want nothing to do with it. There are people that want to kill him as a result of it. He's saying, Listen, the world, it holds no sway in my life. But he's also saying, I am dead to the world. They don't want anything to do with me either. The world knows who I am. Remember the the demons? Jesus, we know. Paul, we know. Who are you? The demons beat up that, those, those individuals, and, and we'll get to that text another day, but uh, that one was just free, came off the top of my head just now. But it's the idea that Paul was committed to the gospel. He was crucified to the world. Now, there are different definitions of what being crucified to the world might mean for you and for me, but I do think very, a large part of this is what sway does the world have upon you as you live out your faith. We're talking about living a cross-centered life. Can you live a cross-centered life if you're allowing the things of the world to draw you away? That's the chaos. That's the confusion. It's when we're caught up in the world that we, and all, like, we need that centering that even the secular world understands. We need something to bring us back to where we need to be. It's the cross of Christ. It centers us because when we're distracted and when we're caught up in things we ought not to be caught up into, it helps us to come back to that place and say, no, the world is to have no sway upon me. We are supposed to be influencing the world. We are supposed to be those who are making an impact. And and, and Joel just said it earlier, right? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. As the church is on on the move, there's nothing that's going to get in its way. It's Christ's church. Who can stand in the way of the Son of God? No one. But the world doesn't want to hear that truth. It is dead to that truth. We still have to uh, speak the words of life. We have to come with the gospel and confront those who are in the chaos and who are in and say, you need to come to Christ. And when you come to faith in Christ, you need to live a life that is cross-centered. So it's absolutely devoted, but it's supernaturally empowered. We're going to go a little quicker here as we finish off. Christ-centered living is supernaturally empowered. It's, In other words, it's what, what Paul was telling the Galatians about the false teachers. They, they're trying to do these things and entice the Galatians to follow them. But it's, he's like, listen, if you're going to do anything other than the gospel, which is that Christ did it all, right? Christ saved you. Uh, the gospel saves you. The gospel sustains you. That's a part that that was Joe's message uh, as he as he preached a few weeks ago. It, it, we have the sustaining power of the gospel. It is. It's not of you. It's not. It's not of works, or you could boast. Galatians two eight and nine, right. It's supernaturally empowered. You can't think that you're going to be steadfastly relational, courageously selfish, and absolutely devoted in your own strength. It's not going to happen. It is supernaturally empowered. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. This idea of circumcision or uncircumcision, is it's the contrast between what is physical and and what is spiritual, the new creation? Are you a new creation in Christ this morning? Uh, what, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Have you ever gone through that transformation that we talked about when the, the light diffused the dungeon room of your sin? The light and, and brought. Such joy and clarity to, the, to your sin as you realize Christ paid for it already. He's saying, listen, the, uh, the, this, the, in Christ, it's not the outward, the physical, the circumcision or uncircumcision that matters. It doesn't avail anything. But there is this new creation, right? We, we can talk about uh, this new creation is, is the work of God. Only God is able to, con- to uh, make this happen in a life. We we can uh, cross reference Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen right this new creation which says therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation notice this old things have passed away behold all things have become new this is the this is the reality that you have stepped from death to life from darkness to light this is the the Christian this is the definitive sanctification that we talk about you are no longer a slave uh, to sin. You are a slave to righteousness. You are no longer a child of Satan. You're a child of God. You are a new creation. This only happens through the supernatural working in your life when you come to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's supernaturally empowered. We cannot think that we can do this in our own strength. And it's divinely blessed, right? I I would love, don't you want to hear those words? Well done, thou good and faithful Servant. I want to hear those words from my Lord and Savior someday, right? I want to, I want to hear divine. I, the cross-centered life is divinely blessed. We, we can see. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Let's just walk through this, this phrase, right? You didn't know there was so much in these few verses at the very end of a letter. But Paul is like, hes like he can't stop himself from trying to persuade the Galatians to come to faith and to stay in the faith. As many as walk according to this rule, this idea of the rule is either the centrality of the cross for for Christian living. That's one possibility of what the rule is. Uh, It could be the fact that circumcision or uncircumcision don't accomplish anything. Or it could be both. He doesn't actually define what the rule is. We, from a context, it could be one, both uh, of these. All right, But I, I'm, I'm just saying it, it does, it's, it's got to be some aspect of both. It's in the same context. But he's saying, listen, as many as walk according to this rule. And so once again, we have to ask ourselves, If are we living a cross-centered life? Are we walking according to this rule? Right? Are we anchored centered on the centrality of the cross for our life it's a yes or no answer you if the answer is yes then you know what i'm talking about you know what paul's talking about it's that thing that keeps bringing you back you start prone to wander lord i feel it prone to leave the one i love right prone to center oh, cross let me center myself right Could be the uncircumcision or the circumcision argument that was going on in their day. Certainly that's not something for us. But we can still get caught up in the physical aspect of, of, of rules of worship and those things. But he says, peace and mercy be upon them. This is Paul commending peace and mercy upon the Galatians who walk this way. This, this, as he's concluding this letter, he's not commending everyone in the church. He's commending those who are walking in the way. Right? Walking according to the rule. Peace and mercy be upon them. Blessings which can only come from God. So when when we talk about um, the the blessings of God, let me me go back to this slide here. Divinely blessed, right? This is how you know. One of the ways that you know you're living a, a life that pleases God is when you're doing what he has been commanding the Galatians and challenging the Galatians to do, to live in this way. All right, and then finally, the, this 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 terminology here—we're not going to spend long on it. But he says, "And upon the Israel of God, as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy upon them, and upon the Israel of God." What is he saying? There's been all kinds of books written and and all kinds of stuff. The church is not spiritual Israel. I'm going to say that up front. This is one of the prevailing beliefs in our world today within Christianity. Uh, And you may hold this view. I'm just saying I don't, and I don't think this church uh, doctrinally holds to this view, is the fact that the church is spiritual Israel. In other words, God's done with Israel. The church is now Israel. The problem that we have with that is when you look at all the promises made to physical Israel, they haven't all been fulfilled yet. All right. We're not going to get into dispensationalism in, 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 in depth, but I'm just saying that I believe that there's a distinction between the church and physical Israel. But he's saying this one, he's talking about the Israel of God. So, so I believe I'm most comfortable saying this refers to the big word eschatological people of God. Eschatological is that the end times, the future time. This is when all things are consummated in Christ. All things have come together, right? Uh, sin has been dealt with. Jesus returns. Sin's been dealt with. We're all in, in the new heavens and the new earth. This, this future people. They're all the believers, both Jews and Gentiles, that have come to faith in Jesus. That's the Israel of God. That's why I'm going to present it to you today. We can have some discussions about this if you'd like to later. For the most part, I'll point you to Joe. No, no. Um, He's smarter than me, right? So, so, but listen, I think it's it's terminology that can trip us up. But let's not get tripped to where we lose sight of what this is talking about. We are called to walk according to this rule, this cross centered rule of life of living. And he's saying, peace and mercy come as a result. Paul's saying, listen, bless you, receive the blessings of God when you're walking this way. Uh, next, we see uh, the proof of ownership. A cross-centered, uh, cross-centered liberty is characterized by proof of ownership. Now, we, don't, we can't say it exactly the way Paul did it, right? He says, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now, throughout history, uh, church history, I'll say, and I believed this as a young, a young uh, lad, right? Uh, St. Francis of Assisi uh, I remember seeing a movie. his uh, old, black and white movie, I think, where where some one day he woke up and he had the marks of Christ in his in his hands and his feet, and and it was some people believe that the marks of Christ were this this like uh, extra special gift given to those who who live so super spiritually, right? They look so much like Christ that they got the physical marks. That's not. What Paul is saying, although I believed it as a child, I do not believe it to today. What is Paul saying? He had physical scars from his beatings, maybe some that he incurred during his shipwrecks. Certainly we know that even in the, in the Galatian context in the book of Acts, I believe he was stoned. Right? And so he had these physical scars. He had this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. But listen, he had stuff physically going on in his life. And he's saying, listen, I bear these marks on the body. It is proof of my faithful walk. I have not compromised the gospel. Now we don't, there are people, by the way, who are carrying, carrying some actual scars from their faith. I think we're actually going to have a missionary. I won't share his name right now because uh, he's in a creative access country, but at least at the time that he was. And, and so we need to understand that there are people being, uh, physically harmed for their faith even today and those those scars are proof of their faithful walk as well what are your scars of the faith maybe they're physical maybe they're not physical maybe they're emotional maybe they're maybe they're uh, relational maybe you've lost friends you've lost rel- you know uh, relation- relationships with family or friends you know, I don't know, but, but it's the idea of the marks that, that Paul is talking about are the branding marks of animals and slaves. This is not just, you, you know what branding an, a, an animal does. It declares that that animal is my possession. And yes, it's cruel at one level. I get that, I and mean, it's been practiced, and I'm not PETA. I'm not going to go ahead and, and defend or, or, or promote either one. I'm just saying, this is historically, we understand that's what this word means. To brand an animal or slave. Paul refers to himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. He's saying, my scars, my physical, they're proof of my ownership. I am Christ's. I am his servant. I am his slave. And finally, we see the seventh Attribute of of cross-centered living is evidence and grace-filled community. He he finishes up. He says, brethren, that word brethren is the same word he's used. It's a term of endearment. He's used throughout the letter. He loves these people. He says, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We are to be grace-filled people desiring for God's grace to be experienced by all within our community. Our relationships matter. We're getting ready to to dismiss here and go outside where we're going to have fellowship. We're going to have community. We're going to have the opportunity to exercise everything that we've just been talked about. There may be relationships that need to be healing, and we need to declare our steadfastness to those relationships. We need to do all these things, but certainly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's it's a benediction of sorts. It's certainly concluding the letter, but Paul's just not throwing out some fluffy words. He wants this to be true in our lives. We are to be grace-filled people desiring for God's grace to be experienced amongst everybody. That's what the gospel is all about. As Christians, we are called to live cross-centered lives. Can we be a church that is Christ-centered with, and God and has a gospel-centered mission. that's who we want to be, is it not? If we're going to take this in reverse for just a minute here, we need to be cross-centered people. We need to be living cross-centered lives so that we can conduct the mission of the gospel so that we can tell Christ, "You are our center of the church, your center of our lives.". The church is Christ's church, and we are called to live for his glory. We are called to promote his gospel. And that happens in relationships, both in and church and outside the church. And I hope that you'll consider adopting this for your own life and and maybe start considering if you can use that word cross-centered. I think it conveys Paul's heartbeat for this text. I think it conveys Paul's heartbeat for the entire letter. Let's be cross-centered people as we go out into our community and as we shine the light of the gospel and as we uh, allow others to see Christ in us, may they come to know Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time that we can come together and, and worship. Father, we realize that to live our life in line with the gospel is not popular. It may, it may get us uh, advantages within the church, and we can talk about being gospel centered, Christ centered, cross centered, and, and other people think, oh, isn't he or she super spiritual, and aren't they doing a great job? And when we know that we're not living it with the right motives and we're not pursuing the right means. So, Father, I pray that you would do your work in our heart, that first of all, Father, we would recognize what the cross represents. It's the price of our redemption. Jesus Christ hung on that cross to redeem sinners. Father, I thank you that we have the symbol of the cross. And Father, we don't walk around with a symbol of of an empty tomb. But Father, we're thankful for that news as well. That on the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. And he appeared to one, and then two, and then many, and then as 500. And then one day he ascended into heaven in, in, in the witness of many, many disciples. And Father, he's coming again. And Father, we look forward to that coming, but Father, I pray that between now and that time that we would pattern our life by being cross-centered, understanding it's not about us. It's about Christ. And it's about Christ being proclaimed. It's about Christ being believed in, and it's about us ministering in his name to all those around us. May you be glorified as we respond to this challenge. May we be people who are cross-centered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.